Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, our gospel for this weekend is taken from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, which describes the farewell discourse of Jesus the night of the Last Supper. You know, it's by far the longest speech by Jesus in the Bible. And it constitutes something like his last will and testament. So anyone who's attuned to the Bible and to Christ knows, man, I got to pay some close attention to this speech. It behooves all of us believers to attend to it with utmost care. And see, I think the distinctive texture of the Christian faith is on particularly powerful display here. So again, I might urge all of you, sometime during this Easter season, take out your Bibles, open it up now toward the end of John's Gospel, and read this farewell discourse of the Lord. Now, one of the clearest teachings we get from our passage for today is that Jesus is divine. How boldly he commences, listen, he tells the disciples and us, have faith in God, have faith also in me. Now, I mean, we can easily enough imagine other religious founders and prophets urging us to have faith in God. I mean, that's what they do. But we'd be hard-pressed, I think, to imagine any of them urging the same faith in themselves. I mean, can you honestly imagine Jeremiah saying, have faith in the Lord and also in me, Jeremiah? No, I mean, Jeremiah is presented as a, as a deeply, you know, flawed figure. Can you imagine Isaiah saying that? Have faith in Yahweh and, and also faith in me. Or, you know, to be fair, can you imagine uh, Muhammad saying that? Have faith in Allah and faith also in me. Well, no. No, no, the prophets point outside themselves to God. But on Jesus' lips, these two moves are parallel. Faith in God and faith also in me. He says to them, where I'm going, you know the way. And Thomas, the restless intellectual, like a lot of people today, says, Master, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? To which Jesus responds, I am the way and the truth and the life. See, again, we're so accustomed to this that I think we easily miss just how strange it is. We could easily imagine the Buddha or Confucius or a Sufi mystic speaking of the way or the path. I remember many years ago when I was a, um, a student in Paris, I was having dinner with a, a Buddhist scholar. And I asked him the question whether Buddhism is best described as a religion. And he looked at me and, and very quietly said, well, we prefer to call it a way. Good. I think that's right. It's a way. In fact, Buddha discovered what he called the Eightfold Way or the Eightfold Path, right? But, but, Jesus 
does not speak of discovering a way. He calls himself in person the way. More to it, he doesn't say he's a teacher of the truth, which, which any philosopher or poet or mystic might say. He says, I am the truth. He doesn't say he's got the message that leads to life. He says, I am the life. See, we heard it, everyone, so often, but how weird this language is. And on this distinction between Jesus and the other founders, Christianity turns. Then, I think most remarkably, when Philip says to him, Master, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And that's, you know, that's good. It's a reasonable question. It's a reasonable request. You know, there are followers of this, this rabbi, this teacher, and, you know, the one thing I want, says Philip, show us the face of God. Jesus replies, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, there's no other philosopher. There is no founder or poet or mystic who has said such a thing. Perhaps a mad person would claim divinity as baldly as this, but Jesus pretty clearly is not a mad person. What is he saying? As breathtaking as it is, He's saying, if I can put it in Paul's language, that he is the icon of the invisible God. He is the privileged access to the very being of God. To see his face, his altogether human face, is in some real way to see the face of God. Now, as C.S. Lewis saw so vividly, all of this I've been talking about, all this means that Jesus compels us to make a choice the way no other figure does. Either you're with Jesus or you're against him, as he himself says, right? It can't be a matter of indifference. Like, oh yeah, he's an interesting teacher. Yeah, I like this part of what he says, but not so much that. And Oh yeah, he's great. Love Jesus. I love these other people too. They're all, they're all kind of equally great. Well, <laughs> you can't really do that with Jesus. Either he is who he says he is, or he's a bad guy, right? Either you gather with me or you scatter, Jesus himself said. There's just no other way to take this language. Strong stuff? You bet. Difficult for a lot of people today to accept? Mm-hmm. I mean, look, we live in a time when freedom and equality and the acceptance of diversity are paramount. And therefore, any claim to unique status or authority, it's just automatically questioned. I, I mean, doesn't all this talk of Jesus' divinity and absolute uniqueness 
just seem kind of arbitrary and oppressive. I mean, who do you think you are, Jesus? And who do you who do you Christians think you are to make these claims? So, I mean, wouldn't it all be easier if we just thought of him as as a philosopher, as a mystic and a poet? Well, yeah, it would be. But it wouldn't be the Christian faith. Okay, so all of that I'm saying, all that I'm laying out, and I'm not going to take back one word of it. But, but, there's a very interesting little hinge here. There's a very interesting trick here. There's a kind of reversal that goes on. And I think it might make this thing somewhat more palatable to people today. Because listen now, the absolutely unique Jesus, the only Son of God, the very image of the Father's being, also says, Amen, amen, I say to you. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and will do greater than these. <laughs> I mean, what? How could, how could we do greater works than the Son of God? So, I mean, I, I just, we just got through saying this guy is everything. This guy is unique. This, this fellow is, is himself the Son of God. So just I'm getting used to that idea, he turns around and says, oh, by the way, you who believe in me will do greater things than I've done. Well, think about that for a second. Think about that in light of the history of the church. Jesus, indeed, in his lifetime, reached out to the sick and healed many. But how many more have been reached out to and healed through Catholic hospitals and religious orders, the works of the great saints. You know, how many more have been healed in the life of the church? Jesus preached to hundreds in his lifetime. I mean, maybe thousands. Fulton Sheen preached to millions in his lifetime. Think of all the Christian preachers up and down the centuries. Now in our time, through technology, able to reach the whole world, have indeed done greater things than Jesus did in his lifetime. Jesus spent whole nights in prayer, we hear. Okay. Contemplative monks and friars and over the centuries have spent years and years in prayer. Jesus covered in his lifetime Oh, I don't know, maybe a few hundred miles. Missionaries in his name have traveled all over the world. Francis Xavier was a greater missionary than Jesus was in his lifetime. So what he predicted, in fact, came true. We have done greater things than he. Now, here's the resolution of our dilemma. Jesus is indeed the Word made flesh. He's the Son of the living God. He's the icon of the invisible God. He is in person the way, the truth, and the life. But who is God? God is love. And love is willing the good of the other. 
Therefore, what Jesus, the Son of God, wants is our good. To proclaim his divinity, therefore, is not to denigrate us, but rather to lift us up. The more we say about him, the more we can say about ourselves in him. Does that make sense? So all these high claims, all this high language, oh, it's meant to you know, drag us down, and he's so much greater than we are, and, and well, you know, who am No, no, the whole point of his divinity is that we can now revel in the fact that he wants what's best for us. Here's bottom line. The more we affirm the divinity of Jesus, the more loving and inclusive and accepting we become of others. The very thing that so many people want today, reach out, love, inclusion, acceptance. Yeah, yeah, the more you say about Jesus' divinity, the more you're going to get that. You'll do greater things than he did. You'll be more inclusive than he was. See, this is not a power trip. I sound like a hippie now. It's a love trip. It's not a power thing. It's about love. That's what it means to affirm the divinity of Jesus. See, everybody, to get this wonderful paradox is to come very close, I think, to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Go all out affirming the uniqueness and high divinity of Jesus, because that will allow you to do even greater things than Jesus did. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.